Hey guys, you are listening to the EPL show here on the Soccer Gambling Podcast. We are simulcasting once again, as we usually do in midweek on Locker Room. The EPL show on the Soccer Gambling Podcast is brought to you by BetQL. BetQL is your home for the info you need to make yourself a smarter better. Plus, their Super Bowl specials give you 50% off their premium data. Just go to betql.com and use the promo code SGP50. That's betql.com and the promo code SGP50. We're also brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for avid sports bettors, providing insights, analysis and free betting picks. Better Than Vegas, it's like YouTube for sports betting. Make sure you subscribe to our page so you never miss a pick. It's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash BTV. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash BTV. And finally, we are also brought to you by Better Edge. Better Edge is a stock exchange for sports bets, allowing you to buy and sell betting positions like a stock market. The best part is it allows you to bet with no VIG. That's right. No VIG betting that's legal in 40 states. Sign up at betteredge.com and use the promo code SGP for a free $10 bet. That's betteredge, spelled B-E. T-T-O-R edge.com and the promo code SGP. So here we are in locker room once again, looking at the midweek fixtures here for the EPL. What we're going to do this week is something different because I do want to try and get some more calls in so that we get some advantages from using locker room. Plus it makes the midweek show different from the weekend show. So if you have any thoughts on any particular game, come in after that game. So don't worry about interrupting my flow or anything like that. I have been doing long enough, this long enough to be able to to manage that. So if you want to talk about any specific game, then just chime in at that time and uh, we'll get you on after that and after that game. So I think most likely that's going to occur for the uh, for the Man U game or the Manchester City game or the Liverpool game or perhaps I'm generalizing and you do want to talk to me about Sheffield United versus West Brom. Either way, that's how we're going to do it today. So if you guys want to come in and talk to me about any particular game that I've just analysed, let me analyse the game first and come in straight afterwards and I'll add you to the call so we can talk about the relevant game. So we'll try and do it like that. So let's begin with the first game. Just mentioned it. It's Sheffield United versus West Brom. Two teams that I have down as absolute lock certainties to go down this season. Sheffield United are the even money favourites here to win this game. It's 23 to 10 to draw, plus it's 11 to 4 on West Brom. Sheffield United being 21 to 20 favourites to win this game. That means you can get West Brom at around about 4 to 5 to avoid a defeat in this game. I took West Brom to avoid a defeat last time out against Fulham. And uh, they should have won that game. They were 2-1 up. They should have won that game. And they need to be winning those type of games to get out of this relegation predicament they're in. Sam Allardyce obviously has this huge reputation of getting teams out of this situation. But usually, after having this much time in charge with a team, he's normally managed to solve or somewhat solve their defensive problems. Obviously, when you're coming up against the Man City and the top teams, that doesn't really come to fruition. And it certainly didn't for Sam Allardyce's team when they played City. They got thumped 5-0. And I think that almost cemented their, their relegation status now. And I think it almost takes a miracle for Allardyce to maintain his 100% record of keeping teams out of the, the relegation zone at the end of the season. Um, all the data here does point to Sheffield United winning this game. 
game. Looking at Allardyce's start, West Brom have lost five of the eight games under him. The Baggies have also lost six of their last eight away trips this season. Sheffield United have won four of their last six games, including doing serious damage to Man United's title hopes. And each of those four wins came by a single goal. So... I would be expecting a tight game here, but I'm very reluctant to take the under because West Brom, as I said, haven't been able to defend under Allardyce and they do seem to be playing the same type of football that they played under Billage. They haven't made significant signings in the window, so I don't think Allardyce is going to be able to necessarily tighten up that defence and improve it. So he may be left with no choice, whereas he is a defensive manager that tightens up defences. He hasn't got the personnel to do it, so he may have no choice but to play a, a a different manager style with a bunch of players that aren't his. So this is really maybe, I, I didn't agree with the appointment of Allardyce. I didn't think that Billich was doing a bad job. I think he deserved to see out the season. I don't think West Brom's case was terminal and they haven't got the Allardyce bounce either. So it's been proven to be the wrong decision so far. And I think it will be proven to be the wrong decision at the end of the season. And I don't think the players were best pleased with it either. Anybody that, that watches any interview or anything that Slavin Billich does, He's an engaging guy. He's a very, very likable guy. Every every player that's probably played under him has liked him. He was a very, very popular player as well when he played for West Ham. So I don't think this will be popular with the players. I don't think it'll be popular with the supporters. I know it isn't actually, if you look around social media. And I don't think this was necessary. And I do think both of these teams go down. But I don't necessarily think that Sheffield United just come here and win this game because they found a bit of form because they struggle to score goals and West Brom struggle to defend. And West Brom, though, still managed to score in most games. And Sheffield United's defence isn't what it was last season. So I am going to take my chances here and take West Brom here on the double chance to avoid a defeat. It gives me two outcomes where I can win here. It gives me West Brom uh, being able to draw this game and West Brom being able to get an upset win. An upset win, they've already gone and pulled off at Wolves, where they scored three goals away to Wolves, who are another defensively solid team. So a very, very unpredictable West Brom team here. And uh, I'm going to take him to get something here from this game. I don't like Sheffield United as a short favourite touching odds on. Up next, we move on to Wolves versus Arsenal. I'd love to talk to some Arsenal supporters about what's going on with their team. Um, Wolves are available here at 5-2. to two. It's 9-4 to four in the draw. And it's 23-20 to 20 here on Arsenal. I think we see a low-scoring game here. I think these two teams have played out quite a few low-scoring games as of late. I'm very interested in the under here for this one, just pulling up the price here. The under here is available at 4-6. to six. So the bookies are aware that these two teams are likely to, to play out a game that is under. But I also like Arsenal here as a pick. Don't really trust them on the money line because this Wolverhampton team did just get a draw last week against Chelsea. And I think they may respect Arsenal here in this situation. And uh, they may sit back and, and defend deep and try and hit Arsenal on the counter. But Arsenal played a similar sort of game against Manchester United at the weekend as well. So there's a lot here that says that these two teams will cancel each other out. But I do think if anybody nicks it, it will be Arsenal. I don't think Wolves will nick it. So therefore, getting Arsenal here at 3-5, to five, minus 160 on the draw, no bet market, best price does represent some value. Arsenal have scored eight goals across their last three away games, winning each of them. Um, Saka is in good form here. He has scored in four of the last six league games and he's really pulling the strings. For him to score any time in this game is available at four to one. That does represent some serious value when he scored in four out of his last six games. Wolves coming into this have lost five of the last eight league games, drawing the other three. So they're not in good form at all. They're having nowhere near the season they had last year. And Arsenal have conceded just one uh, in sort of conceded, sorry, in one of their last six league games. And that's worth noting because uh, 
I was talking to someone who who plays fantasy the other day, and he's just been cleaning up on picking and picking Rob Holding, who was available to buy at four point four million, which is a really really cheap fantasy acquisition, and still his price has just barely just crept over four point five. So I'd recommend getting him in because I do see Arsenal keeping more clean sheets in this running and and securing a place in the top half. And uh, I think they'll be too good here for Wolves today. I also like Arsenal to to keep a clean sheet here in this one. Moving on to the 8.15 kickoffs UK time, 3.15 East. Man United host Southampton. And this now is becoming a must-win game for Man United. They are um, at worst price than minus 200 here. They're available at 4-9. It's 17-4 here on the draw. And it's 6-1 on Southampton. Must-win scenario because of their title predicament and everything has fallen into place for them to win this game because Southampton are absolutely plagued with injuries. Uh, we took Southampton to avoid a defeat on the EPL show at the weekend. The EPL show on the weekend was a really, really, really good bounce back. The, the show before that I did here on Locker Room ended up going 4-6. and six. The show at the weekend was a good bounce back. I think it went 8-3 um, and because there was an extra pick. There was two picks on one of the games. So that was a really good bounce back show. But one of the games he got wrong was Southampton to avoid a defeat against Aston Villa. If anybody saw that game, it was a tragedy that they didn't avoid a defeat in that one. Um, They had a clear, clear penalty not given where it was punched away by by Matty Cash. If they were saying that it came off his thigh. So apparently if it comes off your thigh, you can stick your hand in any position that you want to avoid a, a penalty or a goal. Uh, to avoid a goal and, and even uh, you can avoid conceding a penalty. It was just ridiculous. It was a clear, clear, clear handball. He, um, he clearly stopped the ball from going in. And then at the other end, in, in injury time, they were disallowed a goal by VAR because... They they drew their stupid fake lines in, and apparently Danny Ing's ass was ahead of um, again Matty Cash's ass. So Matty Cash involved in some serious lucky incidents that ended up with Aston Villa getting the the points there. Plus Southampton completely dominated the first half of that game. So I don't know what kind of mindset they'll be in coming into this one. They've um, also had a bad run of form and a bad uh, a bad bunch of luck surrounding that as well. They are fourth bottom of the table. Uh, in, sorry, fourth bottom in the form table, not both bottom of the table, with a record of one win, three draws and five losses in their last nine. Uh, they have conceded goals in 78% of their away games this season. Not an alarming stat because they're not uh, considered a defensively sound team, although they have been defensively better this season. Um, the last five meetings between these two have seen both teams scoring in each with 20 goals scored. The last time they played at Old Trafford, the 2-2 draw was Southampton equalising in injury time going into that game. Southampton were in fantastic form. Um, and Man United have won by a single goal in 75% of their league wins. So if you're thinking about um, taking Man United here and... Um, Four to nine doesn't appeal to you, and you're thinking about and adding a minus one point five Asian handicap line. Remember that stat statistic. You have a seventy five percent chance of losing that bet based on history, even if Man United win. So Man United are not covering these handicaps for you. They are scrapping and scraping to these victories. They're failing to look convincing, which is why many people's jaws dropped when we actually got to the top of the table. And I can see us making it difficult for ourselves again this week. I I knew that Sheffield United game would be difficult. I said last week, I even actually analysed that we would struggle from, from crosses and Sheffield United might score and might score first. And Man United have needed to make comebacks in, in many games this season. I'm going to take a call about uh, Man United here. Hold on. Um, I'm going to bring in someone here. 
Hey, how you doing? What's up, Billy? What's up, guys? What's hey. going on? Hey, just just in, just introduce yourself as per usual. Yeah, yeah. What's up, guys? My name is Ajit. I'm a patron of Billy's Lock Betting. Uh, currently, still reeling over that that bullshit Man United call. Billy, did you did you see what OGS said about? Uh, I think I forget which which body regulating body it was, but they pretty much said they fucked up and that. Uh, Sheffield's first goal should have never stood, and Martial's goal should have should have ended up staying. It's it's just a bunch of bullshit, man. Like, can't believe this what the fucking refs are doing this, man. Fucking, uh, I still can't get over it. Yeah, I, I mean that 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 that's that's definitely worth pointing out. But the thing is, is that as a Man United fan, as soon as you point it out, some idiot will turn around and say that you've had too many penalties. But if you go back and watch every penalty that we've been given this season, you can't say it wasn't a penalty. So I don't understand that argument. And this all kind of started when Jurgen Klopp came out and said that Man United have had so many more penalties than Liverpool. Um, had more penalties this season, I believe, than Liverpool had for the whole of last season or for the last two years. I, I can't remember the exact quote, but it's that kind of stuff that they where they put things into referees' heads and whatnot. And I don't think the referees were... Um, had that in their minds because obviously that wasn't us giving us a penalty or award or awarding anything particularly for us or against us, but they were just really, really poor decisions. The referee, so, so looking at the two instances, the, the, the first one, VAR 100%, if you're going to use it and it's going to be in the game, should take off that first goal. The second one, um, the, re- the reason why VAR didn't look at it is because the referee was, a de- was deemed to have stopped play with his whistle. So that goes against what the referees are supposed to do. So the referee let Sheffield United off the hook by blowing his whistle. The rule is, is that if the whistle goes, that, that means the play is dead. And the rest whistle blew just before the ball went in. But the referees are instructed to let play carry out and let VAR look after it, look at it afterwards. So we were screwed out of two, out of two, two goals there, one for and one against. So yeah, you are right. But do you not think that the performance was poor? Oh, he's gone. He's gone. Okay. Um, yeah, I I think that the um, the performance was was poor. I was I was obviously I'm aware of the um, I'm aware of the um, the incidents that happened, and obviously we'll all go and complain about them at the time. And I did. I made my complaints on social media, etc., about how they went against us. But but Man United should be blowing that team away. Sheffield United coming into that game were the worst team in Premier League history at the midway point of the season. That was the statistical fact. And I do think that we turned up there with an attitude that we would just roll this team over. At the weekend, we lacked that cutting edge against Arsenal. And um, off the back of beating Liverpool in the Cup, we've now scored just one goal across the last two games. So there's three hours of football where we've only found a net once. And uh, Bruno Fernandes, in particular, his form is concerning me. Marcus Rashford's form has concerned me in and out throughout the entire season. And this sounds like... A horrendous thing to say. I don't know if you guys in the States are aware of it, but I'm going to just tell you quickly what Marcus Rashford's involved with over here. Marcus Rashford has engaged in a anti-government campaign to get the get poor kids fed by the government. So basically, when kids go to school over here, the kids that are very, very poor, their lunch is paid for by the government. So they get free meals at school. Now they're not at school because we're in a lockdown. So Marcus Rashford has cam- has campaigned for the kids to get free meals and free food hampers, etc. 
um, during this period. And at one point, it was temporarily stopped. Um, it didn't continue. Uh, it was it was given out for one lockdown and not for another. And then Marcus Rashford took on the government again, has even been on the phone to the prime minister. I believe at one point he's he's visited um, he's visited Downing Street, which is where our parliament is, and has even had face to face meetings. And he managed to get that overturned and he managed to get the kids more free meals. And then he was recently campaigning for the contents of the meals because they were supposed to be packed by a company where they were supposed to add up to 30 pounds. And um, Marcus Rashford said that the value of the items they were getting were less than £10. And Rashford's been heavily, heavily, heavily involved in taking on the government and trying to get these kids fed. That's great. I think that, that that's brilliant what he's doing. But he's playing awful. He's paid to play for Manchester United Football Club. He's one of the most important players. And if he's being distracted by anything outside, look, David Beckham was being distracted by um, by the things going on with his wife. He was doing lots of media and appearances and going here, there and everywhere and making celebrity friends when he was married to Victoria Beckham, when he first got married to Victoria Beckham. You know what Alex Ferguson did, the greatest Manchester United manager of all time? He kicked David Beckham out. He stopped playing him and he sold him to Real Madrid. This was the number one player in the world, the most valuable player in the world at the time. We sold him for less than his worth to Real Madrid because Alex Ferguson didn't want to deal with any distracted players. That's the Fergie way. So even though Marcus Rashford's not out there craving the limelight, he hasn't got a famous girlfriend, he's not there getting papped on the red carpets and all the shit that Bex was doing, he's still playing worse because he's distracted. So I think it's... And also, like, he's also carrying a knock or two, which I'm concerned about. Perhaps it's time to give Rashford a couple of games off to to probably heal that shoulder or or whatever he's um, or whatever he's carrying at the moment but Rashford's not the same Fernandez has had a real dop drop off i don't know if that's fatigue or whatever look at some point may not make need to make a decision if they really are going to going to go for this league if they really are serious contenders or whether they just want to qualify for the champions league again because if that's going to be the case they're going to have to play secondary teams in the FA Cup and they already didn't play Fernandes in the last game or they're going to have to completely sacrifice the Europa League which is coming up and they have a tough game. They can't just put a shitty team out and expect to qualify against Real Sociedad. So big, 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 big decision there to be made for for, for Man United in terms of how they proceed and if they want to be seen as um, realistic title contenders here. For this particular game, as we want to give a pick on it, I'm going to roll with the data. Both teams to score is going to be my play here. That's going to be available here, 8-11. to 11. I also like Man United to win this game and both teams to score. That that, hump, that jumps it up massively. You can get that at 2-1 to one here. Man United to win and both teams to score. You can get that at 2-1. to one. So um, that one would be the way that I would go for this one if you're looking for a little bit more value. Up next... Uh, Games like this are really, really difficult. It's Newcastle at home to Crystal Palace. Newcastle are the two to one dogs. It's 12 to five the draw and it's six to four on Palace. The games like this are really, really difficult just because Newcastle are very, very Jekyll and Hyde. They've just gone to Everton and won. The expectation will be that they'll put in back-to-back good performances and Crystal Palace are are playing poorly and the EPL will throw up a result where Crystal Palace go up and and win this game. So it's very, very difficult. I will lean Newcastle simply because Crystal Palace do have such poor form going in and I do want them to or expect them to build off the back of that Everton win. This Palace team have lost three of the last four away. Newcastle have won two of their last three meetings between these two, including 
including this season's visit to Palace, but Newcastle were in a better vein of form then. Palace have lost three of the last four trips at Newcastle and the Eagles have also been beaten in five of the last away games. So whereas Crystal Palace were regarded as being completely safe earlier on in the season, I don't know if that's the case now. Um, I am expecting this to be a low scoring game. I'm not expecting this one to be jam packed with um, with major excitement or anything like that. Um, so I'm going to go for the under here. The under 2.5 is at 10 to 11. The over 2.5 is here at 10 to 11. I'd rather be on the side of the under. And uh, if you're giving it to me at plus money, which they are, I'm going to take Newcastle here as a pick because if it ends up being a draw, I can get my money back. And Newcastle here at a pick are available at 11 to 10 in this one. Rolling on to Wednesday and According to the bookies, Manchester City are the champions elect. They are one to six to roll over Burnley, six to one on the draw, and fourteen to one on Burnley. This is usually a tough game for most Premier League teams, but for some reason, Manchester City seem to absolutely steamroll Burnley. Every time they play them, it's a really weird thing where Burnley are very, very competitive against everybody. But when they play Manchester City, it's just no competition at all. Manchester City have got a ridiculous head-to-head record against Burnley. Manchester City have already beaten Burnley twice this season, scoring eight goals in the process. Manchester City have scored three or more against Burnley in six of their last seven meetings with them. Manchester City have kept clean sheets in seven of their last eight league assignments. Um, Sorry, my... um, my group chat is going crazy here from, from people that are trying to get into the room. Uh, I'm just going to resend out the, the link here for Locker Room on, uh, on Twitter just for one second and let them know that the, the link is in, on my Twitter account. Um, yeah, so I'll just carry on re- reading the data as, as I'm sending that. Uh, Manchester City have scored three or more against Burnley in six of their last seven meetings with them. They've kept clean sheets coming into this in seven of their last eight, in seven of the last eight league assignments and City won 3-0 at Turf Moor earlier on in the campaign in the Carabao Cup. So I just think more of the same. I just cannot fade the data here that say Manchester United comfortably pick up a win here over Burnley. They've done it so often that it just makes it really, really difficult to think anything else. Yes, Burnley have had a massive improvement in their form as of late, but um, this is just Manchester City, and we'll just blindly roll up with the data here. I like Manchester City over 2.5 team goals here, even though they haven't got Kevin De Bruyne at 6-5, to five. but my strongest play is going to be what I've given out for most of these podcasts when it pertains to Manchester City. And that's just going to be taking Manchester City to nil. Because Burnley's tactic is going to be to try and sit in and try to contain Manchester City. And I think that's just going to be a very, very difficult thing for them to do. Um, Despite the fact that they haven't got Kevin De Bruyne in their team, they still have enough quality there to to not be contained. And when you're looking at Burnley being able to do it and the fact that Burnley have failed so often to contain City, I just think that we will see a breakthrough and that's probably going to open the game up and Burnley are going to try and be more creative and come forward a lot more once they go a goal down. And I think that's just going to lend yourself to Manchester City getting a second and possibly even cashing that side bet here on Manchester City over 2.5 team goals. But uh, my main bet, Manchester City to nil, available at 4-5. Just keep riding it this defense seems very very well organized they have a solid back four world-class goalkeeper and two really top quality holding midfielders it's very very weird we're talking about city like this but look the game evolves we the game evolves for years and years and years 
We're talking about all the top Brazilian attackers and then suddenly Brazil got themselves a world-class back four and two quality holding midfielders and um, and went into went into um, a tournament as major favourites based off the back of their holding midfielders and their defence. So the game changes all of the time and uh, that's just the evolution of Manchester City this season. If they can get their attacking flow together once De Bruyne is back and, and Sergio Aguero recovers from COVID... Not only will they easily win the league, but they'll also challenge for the Champions League as well. I just think that um, these next seven or eight games are going to be key to the league. They scrapped to a win against Sheffield United at home and um, they are going to lack some creativity. Here, the Burnley game is just an autoplay based on historical data, but there are so many difficult games coming ahead. Look, the weekend is Liverpool versus Manchester City. So that's going to be a big one and it will be a big test of this Manchester City team without key personnel. Up next, we've got Fulham versus Leicester, where Fulham are available here at 3-1. to one. It's 5-2 to two on the draw, and it's 10-11 to 11 on Leicester. I got a um, an interesting tweet, which the moron deleted at the weekend, saying, how can you... Um, nice, nice shit pick. How can you go against uh, Leicester at home to Leeds? Um, I can't remember the rest of the tweet, but it was quickly deleted. And um, soon after that, we saw Leeds come back and win that game 3-1. So, um, so yeah, I wasn't even able to grab the screenshot and, and put it up for people to laugh at him. But, yeah, that's what happened. Leeds Leeds beat Leicester 3-1. I had Leeds not to win. I've gone and listened back to that. So I didn't even pick Leeds. So I don't know what he was talking about. I picked Leeds to avoid a defeat. I thought that would be a difficult game for, for Leicester to win. It was three games in a week for them. It was only two games in a week for Leeds. And when Leeds chase the ball around, as they do... It makes it very, very difficult to win that game because you being tired and Leeds having more rest than you really played into Leeds' hand. That situation doesn't exist here in this game with Fulham because they don't have that advantage that that Leeds had. And also, this is a revenge game because Leicester's worst result of the season was their home defeat against Fulham. So I don't really believe in revenge or double revenge, really. It's a lot of... You hear it a lot in um, in American from American gamblers where they say, oh, this team's going to get revenge because they... they lost the last game well they lost because they were worse and they didn't automatically get better because they're just more motivated or 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 frustrated they should have wanted to win the first game in the first place so how can revenge add add that much to a pick I I don't think it has much value I think it's a stupid phrase but um in this instance um you you are the much better team and you lost to this team so perhaps instead of revenge I would go for a um uh, I would vote for them to be far less likely to show that level of complacency because for Leicester to lose to Fulham, it would require a level of complacency that I don't think they'll show here. Yes, they haven't got Vardy, but I do think they'll still be able to win this game anyway. They've previously won FA Cup games against Brentford. Brentford are a team that could be coming to the EPL and Fulham are a team that could be coming down to the Championship. I have them in my mind, if I was looking at sort of a power rating thing, I would look at them about, about being the same level here. So I like Leicester to, to, to win this game. Um, in, in, in addition to that, this Fulham team aren't really a free-scoring side. So if Leicester can just score two goals here, that will be enough to win this game. I don't think at the other end they're necessarily going to massively penetrate. Fulham also have drawn seven of their last nine league games. So they're not exactly winning these games. Whereas people are talking about mass improvement from Fulham. 
if not going on to win these games and been flying out of relegation problems. Another bet to look at is both teams scoring. They've both found a net in uh, when when Fulham played Leicester last time. Both teams have scored in five of Leicester's last seven Premier League games. Fulham have seen, um, sorry, both teams have notched in four of Leicester's last five away assignments as well. So, Lots to think about here in terms of um, adding both teams to score to it or just taking Leicester on the money line. In my opinion, the better team win. Um, I was kind of thinking about this in terms of why Leicester bounced back here other than the fact that they're the better team that already lost to them. Another factor that you can look at is the stylistic play of Fulham. Now, in the Premier League, there's a lot of teams that like to press and cover and cover and cover a lot of yardage in terms of doubling up on players. It's called. It was heavy metal, heavy metal football when it was originally laid out by by Jurgen Klopp. Now Leeds under Bielsa play a similar style. In fact, they play it even more frantically. And Leeds have better personnel than Fulham. Fulham also play this type of football. They're not a team that's sitting and defend. They're not your relegation teams like a Burnley or a Sheffield United. They they're not stylistically like that. So they like to actually play. They're more they're much more like a Brighton, they're much more like a Leeds in terms of the way that they press. But there's levels to this game. Liverpool do what they do with a high level of personnel. Leeds do what they do with a medium level of personnel. Not as good as Liverpool, but not as bad as Fulham. At one point in that game, Leicester were winning against Leeds and Leeds came back on them. I don't see Fulham making making the comeback here. So I think this is very, very, very well set up for Leicester to bounce back here and win this game. But I also think both teams will find a net. If I was doing locks, which I'm not at the moment, um, this certainly wouldn't be one of them. So whereas I've talked about it at length, this is certainly not one of my favourite plays um, because Leicester without Vardy is a, is a different animal altogether. Although they obviously have a lot of talent where they should be able to cope with it, should be able, should be able to cope with it. Up next, we are looking at... Um, I think I've missed the game here. No, I haven't. Sorry, it's the late game, so I haven't missed it. Um, Leeds, just I thought I missed it because of the alphabet, but it's a later game. Uh, up next, we have Leeds versus Everton, where Leeds are at home to Everton. It's 7-5 on Leeds. It's 13-5 to draw, and Everton are available at 19-10 to here, just under 2-1. to I think there's very, very good value here on Everton. I think Everton had a shocking result at the weekend against Newcastle. That looked like a team that thought they were playing one of the worst teams in the league and they were going to turn up and win. And uh, Newcastle went and stung them. And as for Leeds, they've looked very, very good in winning their last two games. If you're looking at the EPL and what the EPL will throw up for you, it will throw up an away win here. It will not see Leeds winning three games in a row. And it will see Everton putting that performance behind them, getting a rocket up their ass from Ancelotti and coming out and winning this game. So I like the value on um, Everton here as a pick. Um, just trying to find the price. So Everton is a pick here. It's plus money at 11 to 10. As I said, I just don't see Leeds coming out here and winning three games in a row. Leeds have actually dropped points in six of their nine Premier League home matches this season uh, because home home field doesn't matter. Home advice really doesn't matter here without supporters. Um, yes, you can familiarise yourself with your surroundings, etc. But the data tells you that doesn't mean shit. Look, it's the fucking Premier League. They're getting millions and millions and millions of pounds to play from, from TV companies all around the world. Um, NBC, I believe, has now moved it on to Peacock. Um, don't quite fully understand what's happened there. I'm, le- I'm trying to learn about Peacock because they've got involved with the WWE. So if anybody has extensive knowledge of Peacock, 
Uh, I want to talk to you about it. Um, but yeah, they, basically, this league is getting millions and millions and millions of pounds from everybody around the world. And um, every stadium is nice. Every place you go is a nice place to play. So the familiarity of stadia and, and ground, etc. Everywhere is a nice pitch. Everywhere is a nice place to play. Everywhere is a nice ground. So it really does come down to supporters. And as I said, Leeds have dropped points in six of their nine Premier League home matches this season, whereas Everton have won four of their last five Premier League away games. Only Man United and Leicester have won more points in a row this season than Everton. And Everton also have scored exactly two goals in two of their last three away assignments. And I think scoring two goals here will put them in a very, very good position to win. And it will definitely, definitely put us very good position to push as we are taking Everton as a pick here in this one. Up next, we'll look at Aston Villa versus West Ham, where Aston Villa are the 6-5 to five favourites. Sorry, 5-4 to favourites now. Uh, it's 5-2 to two in a draw, and it's 11-5 on West Ham. Aston Villa coming off a very, very lucky win, as I mentioned earlier, against Southampton at the weekend. But I do think they can make it back-to-back here. Um, Aston Villa have taken seven points in their last nine on offer at home. This West Ham team have dropped points in 50% of their away league games this season. West Ham have scored fewer goals in five of the last seven league matches on the road. And Villa are actually were unbeaten in 70%, have been unbeaten, sorry, in 70% of the last 10 league home games. So it's by no means a fortress. And there was a lot of data there about home and away and home and away, etc. But I think this Villa team are better. I think in Ollie Watkins, they have a striker that could cause this West Ham defence problem. In Jack Grealish, you have a player who 100% should be playing for a club in the top four. This is a Champions League player playing at Aston Villa. He can make a big, big difference. I can't imagine there's any club other than Man City, probably not Man City, but any of the other clubs, Liverpool, Chelsea, Man United, Tottenham, all of them would love... And could accommodate Jack Grealish. He would walk his ass into those teams. So I'm going to take Villa here to to get back-to-back wins. Again, not a strong pick. Um, The last game, um, Everton as a dog or Everton as a pick, that was a strong pick. So I'm not doing locks, but I am giving hints. Um, But yeah, here here I just about like uh, Villa to come through here on the money line against West Ham. Up next, we're going to move on to Liverpool versus Brighton where Liverpool got their league campaign back on track at the uh, at the weekend with their win against West Ham. Liverpool are available here at 2 to 5 to win this game. It's 19 to 5 to draw and it's 7 to 1 here on Brighton. This is a Brighton team that find it difficult to score goals. Liverpool look very very free scoring at the moment. However, under 2.5 goals have been scored in three of the last five meetings between Liverpool and Brighton. Under 2.5 goals have also, been, have also been scored in seven of Brighton's last nine league matches. Liverpool have won six of their last seven meetings with Brighton. The only one they uh, they didn't from that was the one or draw, which is in Brighton earlier on in the season. And it was a robbery. I, I hate Liverpool, but they really shouldn't have had a penalty given against them there. And um, Brighton ended up getting a draw in the 95th minute. And Brighton lost 1-0 in each of their last two Premier League defeats. That's really irrelevant data to where I'm going with this. I think Liverpool will win this game and I think they'll be able to pick up a clean sheet. They should have picked up a clean sheet against West Ham. Conceded a late, late goal there. I think 
I don't know this for sure, but I think they may have Matic back or, or Fabinho back. They probably won't be playing in with the with the youngsters again. And uh, I do think Jordan Henderson may slot in there again, but he does look like he's doing a decent job. And I think one of the other senior players will slot in alongside him. I also think they'll have Sadio Mane back in his game. Look, Liverpool to be a Brighton team that don't score many goals to nil. And the fact that you can get it here at six to four, in fact, 13 to eight, even best price. You um you have to have a go at it. You have to really have a stab at this play. Huge plus money here. And I'm going to go for Liverpool here to win this game to nil. On the basis they're going to have defenders back. On the basis this has usually been a low-scoring game. And on the basis that Brighton are not a free-scoring team. Although um they come into this at the back of a win against Spurs. And um, Spurs have got big, big problems. I thought that they would be able to adjust without Harry Kane. I watched Tottenham for quite a while at Wembley. And um, during that time, in fact, I watched all of, nearly all the Tottenham games when they were at Wembley for nearly two seasons. And um, they adjusted without Harry Kane. Pochettino was able to utilise um, Son as an out-and-out striker. And they actually broke at more pace. By, by a certain point, they got so adjusted to it that I actually thought that Kane was, was holding the game up. I actually thought they should consider picking up their 200 million for Harry Kane because when he came back initially into the team... He was holding the ball up a lot in the middle of the pitch and slowing up counter-attacks, whereas Tottenham had adjusted to this new way of playing without him there. And they were very successful at it. Whereas when Harry came back, Harry Kane came back, it seemed to slow things down. Now, I'm not saying that Tottenham are better without Harry Kane because he contributes other factors to the team. More for Mourinho than he does for Pochettino because when they're in front, Mourinho likes to kill time, hold the ball up, and Kane holds the ball up well. He comes back and defend corners. Plus, when you're creating less chances, you need to finish most of the chances that you get. And Harry Kane is a lethal finisher. And every team in the world has room for a lethal finisher. But I just think when 200 million was on the table and they'd made such a good adjustment without Harry Kane, that maybe that was the time to sell him because 200 million as as Tottenham at the time were were that was the year they were in the Champions League final 200 million would have gone a long long way to rebuilding rest of the team and buying some serious quality in defensive midfield and at the back as well and I think that could have taken Tottenham to the next level had they continued to evolve without Kane with a 200 million investment look Tottenham shouldn't need 200 million by selling Harry Kane. They've got a really, really rich owner in Daniel Levy who doesn't invest properly in the club. So really, they shouldn't need to sell Harry Kane. It was just an idea that I had at the time from from watching them play and the way that they adjusted to it. Looking at Mourinho's team and the performance that they put out against Brighton at the weekend... There is no adjustment without Harry Kane. And they're going to really struggle here against a Chelsea team who, yes, I said initially... I, I think this two-shell appointment um, doesn't seem to be gelling, but that was off the back of, of one game. They looked very, very laboured. They seemed to have tons and tons and tons of possession and didn't know what to do with it. And even on even at the weekend, yeah, they won 2-0, but they didn't penetrate enough with all of the possession that they had, but they still managed to win the game. Tottenham are going to sit in, even though they're at home, and they are going to allow you all the possession that you want. And there's just going to be chance after chance after chance here to Chelsea to, to Chelsea to penetrate this team. Unless Mourinho sets up completely differently to, to normal, this for me is an absolute no-brainer here to take Chelsea as a pick. Chelsea as a pick to win this game is available at 4-6 minus 150. And seeing as you're probably only going to have 
one team that come out with the ambition to win this game and Tottenham totally looking to win it on the counter, I think that gives you some solid value because if Chelsea can create a clear-cut chance from all of the possession that they'll have, they will win this game. Chelsea are unbeaten in four previous Premier League meetings with Tottenham. They absolutely hold the Indian sign over them. Tottenham have only won three of their last 11 Premier League fixtures and Tottenham have won only one of their last four Premier League home games. That was against Leeds. Spurs have also scored one or fewer goals in three of the last four league matches and they don't have Harry Kane. So for me... Great, great pick here on Chelsea. I see a very, very definitive pattern of play. Chelsea having the ball, having the ball, having the ball, having the ball, having more of the ball. And Tottenham trying to hit this team on the break without their main centre forward. And uh, them showing in the game against Brighton where they haven't been able to, to make that adjustment without Harry Kane and uh, to correctly utilise Sonny as these as the centre forward. And I, I don't even remember, actually, if Son was utilised as, as a centre forward. I know Gareth Bale played in that game and I know he was substituted. And that that is an odd one because that signing doesn't seem to be working at all. And this seems to be a time where Gareth Bale can, can come in and do a job for Tottenham. This is exactly what Gareth Bale was signed for. Gareth Bale should be coming in out wide. Sonny should be moved into the middle. And then the competition for places should be between Lamella, Bergwijn and Lucas Moura. That's exactly what should be happening. And Tottenham should be able to make the adjustment here. So far, they haven't. And this is even before Harry Kane, this team were making a massive, massive drop down the table. Whatever Mourinho was doing, it's been figured out. And Mourinho's been doing the same thing for years. This has been Mourinho's style. And um, he didn't care that Manchester United were Manchester United and there's a stylistic approach that goes along with that brand. And Tottenham are Tottenham. There's a stylistic approach that goes with that band. This is a team that had Ozzy Ardiles, Jimmy Greaves, Gary Lineker, Paul Gascoigne, Teddy Sheringham, um, you know, Glenn Hoddle. All of these quality players have played for Tottenham in the past. It's in their, it's in their history to be a flamboyant team. Not a team that sit in with eight men behind the ball and try and hit you on the break. So I just um I, I just don't see anything here but but Chelsea getting his second win under Tuchel. And this will be a marquee win because even though Chelsea are unbeaten in their four previous Premier League meetings with Spurs. This is still a big scalp. This is still Mourinho. This is still Chelsea getting a win over their ex-manager. And their new manager starting with seven points from nine. And the argument could be made that he had one day before that Wolves game to implement two shells tactics. So this, this for me is a very, very easy pick on Thursday. Hopefully it comes to fruition for us. So if you guys want to follow me on Twitter, my Twitter account is at SGP Soccer. That's at SGP Soccer. As it is the start of the month, there is no better time to sign up for LockBetting.com. We're coming off another profitable month. £1,890. That's nearly $2,500 that we made for clients. And I'm completely transparent. I actually lost... Over 10 units of profits in the middle of the month. And I lost it across two days. So on January the 16th, I was rebuilding the monthly profit from zero. And still got it up to £1,890 with the help of my team. We've had 13 out of 14 winning days in tennis. We are winning it in the NBA nearly every single night. And we have seriously got back on track with soccer. Had a good start to the month. Had a very, very poor podcast last midweek. And that was also coupled off with some poor picks. But we had a very, very good weekend. The Bundesliga in Europe with the European show was a sweep. The European show was a sweep. 
That show costs you $10 a month, $2.50 a week, and you can get that over at LockBetting.com. And as I said, I use Patreon for LockBetting.com, and when you sign up, you get charged for the entire month. So you may as well sign up on February the 2nd and get charged for the entire month rather than signing up for Valentine's Day once you've sorted your girlfriend's shit out. And you guys aren't going to be going anywhere anyway because we're in lockdown. So you may as well spend less on her and get yourself a betting package or win money before Valentine's Day and get her something decent. Anyway, guys, that's it from me in this edition of the EPL show. I'll be back with another EPL show at the weekend and that's Bundesliga show as well. Good luck with all your bets as always. And thanks for listening. It's finally spring, and I'm saying goodbye snow, hello adventure. And during the Honda Dream Garage Spring Event, you can get epic deals on your favorite Honda model. Ready to get rugged? Then take the off-road in an all-wheel drive Honda SUV, like the CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, or redesigned Ridgeline. Want to take a spring road trip? Then check out a fuel-efficient turbocharged Civic or Accord. Say goodbye to winter, and hello to a new Honda. Don't miss huge savings during the Honda Dream Garage Spring Event. Now at your local Honda dealer.